to say that the podcast for your big questions get real answers my name is matt king i'm your host here in the city of chicago joining us here is jed brewer oh yeah we are without regular co-host lee younger this week uh so you know who knows what's gonna happen lee is um i think i would put it as a sanitizing influence on this show yeah. in general a the adult the variable adult in the room so we'll see you the next hour or so uh goes along buckle up in his absence but uh he will be back uh he is on special assignments coming back from uh some young life doings across the globe um which jed and i do not get invited to so we're here with you we know what we did yeah it's not that we it's not that being here with you the listener is some kind of consolation prize but it's just not as good as the other thing <laughs> but we are glad you uh, tuned in to join us i like to get i like to start off by insulting the listener Right up top. Yeah, that's good. That's Just good. to say that podcast, we're going to make you earn it. <laughs> so we do have some of your great questions, but first we're going to have to talk about a couple of financial emergencies here. Oh my goodness. Not the kind of financial emergency I was in in college when my card got declined on the dollar menu at McDonald's, a real thing that happened oh. to me, but a couple of different kinds of financial emergencies. The first one is a story that comes from uh, Bloomberg.com. The headline of which reads, podcast guests are paying up to $50,000 to appear on popular shows. Wow. Critics yeah. call Paola and say listeners deserve better disclosure of promotional ties. And we've had many, many guests on this show over the years, and we'll have some again in the future. And as ever, uh, we forgot to do the thing where we get paid. <laughs> Yeah, no, no one has paid us $50,000 or or any dollars, actually, to appear on this podcast. No, but we're not above sending out some invoices to everyone who has been a guest on the podcast and just seeing what we can get out of them. I like that. I think that's a great idea. I mean, it can't hurt to try. Yeah, because kind of like that, Uh, you know, you're we're calling you about your car's limited warranty scam. Just you got to hit you got to you know, you got to be able to make enough phone calls to hit one out of every couple of hundred. Sure. Absolutely. What we, what we need is, because I know a lot of that's driven by bots. Sure. We, we need the say that bot to do the hard, boring work for us. Sure. Yeah. Reach, reaching out to all of our previous guests, just pestering them on the phone. The idea of a say that bot is, is deeply horrifying in a couple of ways. <laughs> they had like, they did a couple of times where they tried to make like um, social media bots like either moderators or content creators and uh i think they did it on reddit once they did it on twitter and like every time they've done it they've had to shut them down in like two days because it just became like a virulently a virulently aggressive racist yeah because the idea was just like it takes in the post and just kind of tries to regurgitate it and then they realize you shouldn't do that yeah i but i like the idea of a of a bot that just cannot uh, contained its own nonsense and just kind of <laughs> pops apart at the seams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would, it would be entertaining to me. That, that's really the main thing. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't get paid, but it would entertain us. And that's how we got in this problem in the first place. <laughs> Is, could we, to combine these things, could we get people to pay to be interviewed by our nonsense bot? Oh, that's very avant-garde. You don't get interviewed by us. We're very busy and important. We're sure. out making deals for things. Yeah, you know, people say they're making deals, but it's never clear for what. So let's uh, not worry about what the deals, deals are for. But but nonsense bot though, it's ready. It's ready to talk to you today if the price is right. Well, or we we could have like a tiered package where we book someone to do an interview. They have you know they're plugging their their book or their their CD or whatever it is. I, if you're plugging your CD on a podcast, you've got a very interesting business yeah. model that I'd like to, to hear more about. Um, you know, whatever, whatever their project is, but we tell them, yeah, it's a podcast and you can come on. And then, but then we put them on with a nonsense bot and they have to pay <laughs> like the 10 bucks to like upgrade to a human host. Oh, that's very good. That's very good. Yeah. It's yeah, kind of a, yeah. an add on system. You can keep going with this nonsense bot asking you about Joe Osteen's teeth whitening routine. Cause that's what it, Kind of it, it it intaken, or you could uh, listen to you talk about your book. But in that case, you gotta please insert card to complete transaction. I love this, yeah. Well, and the spirit, because we we want to, you know, we don't want it to just be about the money. The thing, the lesson we can learn from mobile gaming is 
if you can last an hour with the nonsense bot, then you can unlock a few minutes with a human host. Or if you prefer, for a modest fee, you can just jump directly to a human host. I love the idea that you've got that you can grind for podcast guest XP. <laughs> like if you made it through this podcast, then you would like move up a level and then eventually yeah. you would like you would get on the daily or WTF or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, th- I think it's great, man. Well, apparently the reason that people are, are paying such money to get on uh much uh, much more popular podcast than ours if you can imagine such a thing existing is you know it's basically like old the old time you know pay to play to get on radio or get on a tv interview and you just got you got a product and you want to get it out there and part of what they're um some people are saying is that they feel that this is a not transparent enough process and people should uh kind of uh put that up front in the way you might like in like uh, advertised uh, content on like Instagram or something. Yeah. You know, they have to put like the little hashtag ad. And the thing is, if you're like, I'm, I don't think they're the ones doing this, but if you're, you know, whatever, um, if you're NPR, or if you're like the business bro podcast, which I mean, this article from Bloomberg and they definitely appear to, there appears to be a nightmarish uh, sub genre of like, um, entrepreneur bro podcasts that are a thing Ooh. like D- Dave Asprey host of the human upgrade charges guests an average of $50,000 to appear on his biohacking podcast. Right. That's a lot of words. That's Some a lot pretty of fancy words. ones too. Which he says gets downloaded a million times, millions of times a month. There's a very key phrase in that sentence. See if you can guess it. Exactly, (laughs) Jed. He says. Because here's a fun thing from your your local podcast experts have been doing this for a long time. When anyone asks a question, how many people listen to that podcast? Nobody knows. Yeah. I say that say that gets downloaded billions of times a second. I just said it. He said it. Money, please. Absolutely. But, you know, somebody goes on, somebody has a biohacking product. I can't even imagine what horrible thing that would be. And they want to go on. (laughs) I think that's how you become RoboCop. I think that's what that is. He did get biohacked by the father from that 70s show. I remember that scene very well. (laughs) His bio definitely got hacked. But so I can imagine that. But, you know, there's that gray area where they pretend it's not, um, pay for play. So it's like, Oh, I read this really interesting book and I wanted to get the author on. I just am imagining us trying to do product placement on this show and just how given the, the kind of content and people's actual questions and stuff, just the, the mental gymnastics to get into plugging like Casper mattress or yeah, yeah, or, you know, whatever they do on, on podcasts nowadays, just kind of, and the more corporate, the better just kind of have, I really have some doubts about, you know, my, my faith community and kind of what I've been taught as a child. I think we all go through that. Like, for example, when I was a child, I was taught that Tide wasn't the best detergent for your whites. And I've come <laughs> to learn better. <laughs> you know, we all need to be fed spiritually. That's important. But we also need to be fed physically. And that's where weekly food deliveries from Blue Apron come in. <laughs> I... Jed, I'm going to admit you, you zagged on me there because I definitely thought we were going to be cruising towards some kind of spiritual fourth meal uh, kind of thing. <laughs> Give it time. Give it time. Yeah. Real spiritual wisdom is a lot like the Mexican pizza. It only comes back every so often. And you must savor it when you find it. Yeah. On this podcast, we respect the supremacy of the word supreme, <laughs> much like the Crunchwrap Supreme. There you go. And that brings us to where I wanted to end this discussion, which is what is the kind of thing we would definitely accept for someone to come on this show? And I think pretty much anything off the Taco Bell menu. Yes. Yeah. If you, if you slip us a couple of, well, I want to be clear in in terms of tears. So the, the, the best to me, Taco Bell item of all time was the chili cheese burrito also referred to as the chili toe that they stopped making years ago because this is a terrible world that is only getting worse. This example of the human of humanity's <laughs> fall brought to you by Taco Bell. 
So, like, if you come to us with Taco Bell, obviously we're going to interview you, yes. But if you come to us with a chili cheese burrito, you can have whatever you want, man. Sure, we'll just give you the show. (laughs) Here's the thing. The number of Taco Bell items you bring that however long Jed has to be chewing, you can have his chair for that long of the episode. So if you back that dump truck full of Chilitos up, you can probably make it the whole hour. Absolutely. The floor is yours, sir. So uh, we... We're getting in late on the pay-for-play um, podcast guest scheme, but we are also going to be uh, underpricing the market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think if you want to come on with your weird biohacking thing, I'm not saying it's going to be good for your product, but it will get you a lot less. We'll get you on for a lot less than 50 grand. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you can still talk about the biohacking. We sure. don't know what it is. And, and you'll basically be talking to the nonsense spot regardless, because none of our follow up questions will make any sense. But you can talk about it. Sure. You throw in a couple of Baja blasts. We we'll even pretend to care about it. <laughs> well, actually, here's the beautiful thing. This is and I, I think this is really what makes it work because, you know, it needs to, to feel sincere is if I'm sipping on a Baja blast. You're like, yeah, well, the biohacking is a new paradigm and the thing I'll go, "Mm, that's good. I'll be describing the Baja Blast, but to the listening audience, it will sound as though I'm agreeing with the wisdom of what you've said. And that is just good professional production. This is what I'm saying. It's like I'm a method interviewer. (laughs) Exactly. And your method involves a lot of refills and a lot of cheese sauce. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Well, from one way of uh, making a buck in this world to another, and I'm not saying we approve of any of these, but this is this is another one. Yeah. Um, from Insider.com, a pastor robbed of $1 million worth of jewelry at gunpoint during Sunday sermon. Wow. Like, was he wearing a million dollars worth of jewelry? That's what I'm led to believe. The New York bishop, and uh, in case you're wondering, is this like a denomination or something? And no, I believe he is a self-styled bishop. Okay. Self-taught. A New York bishop was robbed at gunpoint during a live stream service. Okay. Bishop Lamore Whitehead, known for his designer clothes and luxury cars, maybe not for long, raised eyebrows from police value the worth of the jewelry stolen from him and his family on Sunday to be close to a million dollars. Wow. That is, man, that's a lot. That's just, that just like, there's got to be a physical level of discomfort to wearing that much. Just, just the weight of it. Yeah. Well, so I'm curious, I'm going right now to the website of, of the jeweler, Tiffany, which I think we're all familiar with. Sure. And I've, she thinks she's alone now. (laughs) I assume that's the same person. I've gone to their men's department. I'm I'm now looking at men's necklaces and pendants. I'm about to sort from high to low because I just want to see what's what's like the fanciest thing that you can buy. So like the fanciest men's necklace you can buy off of Tiffany.com is twenty one thousand dollars. Now, on the one hand, man, that's a heck of a lot of money for a necklace. That has a Honda Accord around your neck. This, wow. Well put. But on the other hand, this dude had way, 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 way more than that. Many times more than that. You shut down the Tiffany in order to wear it on Sunday morning. That's like, I'm not even mad. That's just impressive, dude. Yeah, no. And I'm, I'm definitely um, very averse to victim shaming in any conceivable way. I don't like the idea of, you know, well, you... You didn't want some kind of outcome. You shouldn't have gone there. You shouldn't have worn that or whatever. But if you wear a million dollars worth of jewelry around long enough, somebody's going to rob you. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, well, well put. If you, if you enter this name, gentleman's name on Twitter, the first thing that comes up for me is a New York Times article about this robbery um, where he is sitting in a, on a throne Okay. In a gold patterned suit. Uh huh. And he appears to be resting his iPad stand on a custom made pillow. And there are a lion's faces carved into his throne. Uh, uh okay. And here's the thing uh, Jed and I have both worked in 
in professional ministry for a long time. Um, you know, Lee is a pastor. We have lots of friends who are in the pastorate. I'm definitely not on the like, oh, a 2017 Honda Civic pastor must be doing pretty well. You know, mm-hmm. if you agree to what you're going to pay this person and then, you know, the the elder board or members, wherever agree on that, I think, you know, a person should certainly be paid a salary for doing a job. And that's that's lovely. Um there does come a point where we're just kind of going a little nutty with it. Yeah. You know, I, I know this is a safe place where I can be myself. And given that, I I think I need, I'm jealous. I think I need a lion chair in my life. I don't need the rest of it. I don't need the suits or the jewelry or the cars, but I just, I think I would feel more powerful and more effective if I had a lion chair to do basic things in life. I, I do think it would give me a little bit of just like, I wouldn't be on camera during my zoom calls for work, but I would know <laughs> I'm in a lion chair. That's that's right. And I feel that's... like that kind of confidence projecting would really, I'm tr- I'm basically asking Jed, is there a way I can write this off as a business expense? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I do a lot of media production, so I, I, you know, spend a lot of time sitting in a chair, staring at a screen and I love the idea of doing that in the lion chair. <laughs> it would be, it would be perhaps the most impractical seating option a person could find for that kind of work, but she's like, no, I'm doing it. This is, yeah. this is how I roll, man. This is part of my yeah. process. Creativity <laughs> yeah, demands yeah. it. That's right. That's right. Well, and if you wonder, maybe maybe he just preaches really, really well, and people Does donate he? to him. Um, here's another headline from the city.nyc. Brooklyn pastor robbed during sermon stole parishioner savings, lawsuit alleges. No, that's not good. Court papers claim $90,000 disappeared after Lamore Whitehead promised to help buy real estate while he ran a failed campaign for Brooklyn Borough President last year. Okay. So this dude... Is I'm going to give you two sentences in this uh, in this uh, article, Jed, and I Please think do. this may be the most grift non-Trump edition I've ever seen crammed into this little space. Wow. Okay. The Brooklyn pastor who says he was robbed in the middle of giving his Sunday sermon stole ninety thousand dollars in retirement savings from one of his parishioners. A lawsuit filed last year in Brooklyn Supreme Court alleges Lamore Whitehead, the bishop at Leaders of Tomorrow International Churches in Canarsie is accused of convincing 56-year-old Pauline Anderson to invest nearly her entire life savings in one of his firms with the promise he could help her buy a home despite her bad credit history, the court paper says. Whitehead allegedly told Anderson that he was treating her investment as a donation to his then-campaign for Brooklyn Borough President. Cool. So if we want to run the stats on that, you're ripping off a uh, an older person of their entire life savings. For fake real estate, yeah, while running a possibly front political campaign, yeah, and being the self-appointed bishop at Leaders of Tomorrow International Churches, sure. And that is that is a lot of different types of scam to be pulling at one time. It is. Can I ask two follow-up questions, please? The first is, can I appoint myself Archbishop? Yeah. Because that sounds pretty cool. Do I, do I have to have a lion's share to be archbishop? Well, could you be an effective archbishop without one? Probably not. I think we're just increasing, you know, the argument that I need a lion's share in my life. Second thing, second question, um, um, actually, and, and, and in the spirit of offering something that's not helpful in any way, this isn't a question so much as a comment. Um, oh, yes. Thank you, white man in this college class. Hey, so my, my thought is, and, you know, similar to, you know, we don't do victim blaming. We also don't tell people that they're um, wrong to spend what they spend. If you like avocado toast, you should eat avocado toast. And the idea that that's what stands between you and, you know, uh, ever whole, you know, owning a home is complete nonsense. So we don't, we don't do that on this show. Nope. Like if, if you like avocado toast, you should, you should eat it and you should enjoy it. I think it's great. That said, if you're wearing a million dollars worth of jewelry, and I don't mean that like you you own a million dollars worth. I mean like right now in this moment, you are currently wearing a yep. million dollars worth of jewelry, and you're like, oh, I need a hundred grand for my political campaign. Cool, cool, cool. 
sell 10% of what you're wearing now. Just like to a ring and then done. Well, but Just Jed, you see, that's my money. I'd really prefer oh. to spend retirees money. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I, you know, I'm not really one to moralize, but that's not good. That that's bad. You should not do that. Yeah. There's, if I could some, if I could, we could, as we like to do on the show, even in the emergency segment where we can, I'd like to leave with a note of wisdom and a note of, uh, you know, a takeaway for the listener. Um, Jed and I have both spent a fair amount of time, uh, around people who have done some crime mm. for very, varying levels of crime and varying levels of self justification. Not going to get sure. into, you know, what crime is justified and what's not, but here's the thing. If you went to a lot of places in Chicago and I imagine Brooklyn is similar and somebody says, what did you do today? And you say, well, I robbed a bishop. If you would say, oh my, that seems to say, well, he ripped off my grandma. So all I did was rob him. They'd go, well, I admire your restraint. You did very well. You can only rip off so many people's grandmas and wear their retirement savings (laughs) literally around your neck. Before someone will rob you live on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I would like to find some kind of place where I can gamble on whether or not him getting robbed live on the live stream was some kind of insurance fraud play. (laughs) That would be good to know. I didn't, I don't know if the video is available. I didn't watch it, but I just love the idea of him standing, making sure he's framed by the camera. As yeah. they snatch it. Oh no, not my watch. Yeah. My Omega Seamaster watch valued Ser- at seventy thousand dollars. Not that one. Serial number one seven five B twenty three twelve. Chad Morris at my insurer <laughs> will be terrified to learn that I lost that. <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. What do you think his sermon was on? <laughs> oh, dude, do we know? I don't, it doesn't say any of the articles, but I, I hope it was about charity. And oh. somebody was just like, well, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he got like his Bible pages stuck together? And he was like, and then is what must I do in eternal life? And Jesus said to him, sell all your jewels. I mean, so he's like, no, finish that sentence, pastor. What were you saying? <laughs> Yeah. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. And so I trying to say, well, I'm the poor. I feel like we can, we can just get a parable going right here in church today. Let's cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's right. Donations, no waiting. <laughs> well, and on that, we will declare emergency off. But uh, again, if anybody has uh, some Taco Bell, coupons or gift cards and would like to have a 15 minute slot on this show to talk about really whatever you want while Jed's eating. Yeah. Feel free. It's no problem. (laughs) We're going to move on to your fine questions that came in. If you have a question for us, you can hang out this all the way to the end. I'll give you some addresses. You can touch this or you can scroll down to your episode description and find the links there. First question comes in and says, I want to experience God myself, not go on others experiences or the Bible, but something that's my own. I basically am being told that God can't meet me unless I crack the code and ask in the right way. I believe he is bigger than my issues, and as long as I invite him in, it doesn't matter what lies in the way in my life. Still, all I get is silence. I have attachment issues, but I think he's bigger than that too, right? I've gone to several treatments for that, but I still feel stuck. What do I do? And a really interesting question, and a lot of a lot of layers there, and I think a lot of really, really good stuff for us to get into. But Jed, I think maybe the best place to start is with lauding the goal of, I want to experience this for myself, which is great. And something, you know, we, we definitely push people to think about and want for themselves on the show, but maybe a good place to start is what do you want out of that? What is the point of, I want, I want this, I want this to be mine. Because we don't want that just for the sake of I did it different or I did it on my own. So what are we trying to get to when we're letting go of that other stuff and pushing for something that's ours? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And we do definitely salute your your goal, and, and we salute you taking ownership of your own spiritual journey um, and figuring out how to make it yours and how to make it true to you and, and unique to you. It's a beautiful thing. It's a necessary thing for, for anybody to kind of grow in their spiritual life past a certain point. We kind of all have to do that. And I think part of what underpins your question is there is something maybe a little bit scary about that because you're kind of stepping out into the great wide open. Um, and what does it mean? And, and what if I, what if I stare into the void and nothing does stare back? What is, what does that mean? I like that Nietzsche Tom Petty mashup. Thanks dude. I was pretty proud of that. That is, I'm, I can't think if I want to hear Tom Petty lyrics read in a very <laughs> serious German accent, or if I want Nietzsche in kind of a, a late seventies grungy rock, uh, nasal drone, but either way, it's fantastic. Yeah. That's both fun options. So I think Matt's right on the money that like you having a sense of, of what you're trying to achieve would be a good idea. Let's maybe start with, with one thing that's perhaps not a good idea, which is, are you looking for proof? Are you, are you looking for proof either that there, there is a God or proof that, there is a God and that that God has a certain kind of character because that may be difficult to do. And it turns out that life is full of things that are very hard to prove. Um, I hope that you had a grandma that you had a great relationship with that you just kind of know in your heart, man, grandma loves me. Or, you know, when she was with us, grandma loved me. I hope that you had that experience. Now I'm going to be an angry Reddit troll and say, prove it, prove that grandma loved you. And I think if you take my bait and you do the thought experiment, I think what you'll find is that it's pretty hard to prove that grandma or that anybody else loved you. You say, oh, they, they did loving things. Maybe they had ulterior motives. Maybe they hated you, but they were driven by their need to be seen a certain way. You can always tear things apart. Like there, there is no such thing as mathematical proof of a lot of life. And that actually applies to things relating to spirituality. There, there's not there's not undeniable proof. Like I, if you grew up in the kind of environment I grew up in what you had books like evidence that demands a verdict. No, it doesn't. That's not how life works, man. Um, so proof I don't think is, is a great goal, but do you want to have an experience of God? Do you simply want to have a moment or moments in your life that you can look to and you can feel like, I was there and God was there and we were in the same place at the same time. And it was cool. Is that what you're looking for? Because I think that's actually a great goal and, and something that I would really encourage you towards. And another way of looking at that same idea is, are you looking to have a moment where you feel a sense of connection with God? Because that's really what spirituality is about. Spirituality is about connectedness with something beyond yourself, both with, with other people and with the divine. If you want to have an experience of God, if you want to have a feel a sense of connection with God, I want to encourage you to think about going where God typically is. Like I, I know that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere, but go with me for a second. The places that God is most likely to be found, both according to the Bible, but also human experience, one is in the lives of the least of these. Um, if, if you want to be where God is, God is, is with the down and out, and, and he is, um, if you want to kind of do the thing he's doing, then that's about serving people who are going through a hard time. And the second place that God is found is very, very similar, is God is found where people are desperate. The idea of, of God is real to people, for example, who are in addiction recovery or who are in prison in a way that God is often not real to people where things are pretty comfortable and pretty good in life, generally speaking. So I think it's awesome to want that sense of connection with God, that sense of experience of God. I would encourage you to think about going to those places, finding a way to serve the least of these, finding a way to be a help and a friend to people who are in desperate straits. And I, I think that at least in my experience, you will begin to find a connection with and an experience of God in those moments. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a great place to start. And I want to tie that back to the idea of, um, you know, I, I want my own experience. I don't want other people's experience. I don't want the Bible, uh, which uh, I, this may be the only Christian podcast you can write into. You say, 
I don't want to do this via the Bible. What do you got for me? And we say, yeah, sure. that seems very fair. Um, it turns out that book, as much as I enjoy uh, it in large parts, has really been uh, twisted and misused enough to where I can totally understand why you might want to say, ah, that doesn't seem like the way in. But there is a an aspect of kind of Christianity um, as the Bible describes it, um, certainly as I've lived it, and I think as Jed's experienced as well, where this has to be an interconnected experience. It has to be a reflected experience. It has to involve others in some way, shape or form. I think that is definitely a, one of the things about Christianity that I find very comforting as opposed to a lot of other religions is that the purest form of it is not one very wise person sitting on a mountaintop connecting to something that uh, is above everyone else. It is inherently um, communal. It is inherently a little bit muddy and a little bit messy. And those moments where you're having this thing, you're talking about this experience of God yourself for yourself is in my experience, um, most likely going to involve someone else. Now it's still your experience that you're having. Um, and it, you may not have realized that that's what was going on until you get in the, you know, the car or the train or whatever on the way home. And that's uh, a way that often happens as well. But I think part of this is coming down to your, you want to experience something, which is really cool, but, and this is true of everyone, you don't really know what experience you're looking for. So that's going to make it very difficult to nail down when it happens or when you're getting closer to it. And that's one of those things that is a kind of unpleasant vagary of looking for something beyond the world that we can see and taste and touch, but it is just kind of how it's going to be. You're going to feel something or experience something. And very rarely is it going to be a lightning bolt in the moment where you think, Oh my, this is, this is the transcendent moment, which I've been searching for. Um, it will sometimes, you know, it feels like a laugh with someone. So I'm going to feel, sometimes it feels like a nice, warm feeling in your stomach. Sometimes you don't let the feeling, the feeling doesn't catch up to you until, uh, the adrenaline of being terrified of doing something new has worn off. These are all fine and all totally normal and not saying anything bad about you at all. But this idea that I I want this thing that is the purest uncut, no filters, no other, um, versions of this thing. I'm not sure that such a thing exists within our ability to experience it. You know, there, you know, the Paul talks about seeing through a mirror darkly, like, um, sometimes glimpses is all we get. Now, as Jed points out, you can put yourself in positions where those glimpses will be pretty darn strong and you'll see some very, very cool stuff. But, um, I want the realest of the real thing is it kind of actually takes me back to, you know, Jed, Jed's comment about, you know, evidence that demands a verdict or the case for da 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 da. Like there's no proof. Sounds like part of what you say in here is I want, I want the proof. I want Yep. to go. I want to see it. I want to do the calculations myself, which is very cool, but that proof I don't think is going to be as airtight as any of us would like it to be. And sometimes the being okay with that is part of the proof in and of itself to be a little bit circular there. But to that, and Jed, let me share your thoughts on this. I I think it's a very, very good um, self-awareness on the part of our question asker, but you know, things like I have the attachment issues. I feel like I, people are telling me that I can't get this unless I crack the code and ask in, in the right way. It was one of the things on this kind of being comfortable with the wrong way and doing a bit of, of stumbling for a little while. And really, maybe the faith is in finding what we find out there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true, man. Well, let's let's use an example that is a little bit less airy-fairy, but not by much. And and that is, let's talk about music for a second. So I've had a really blessed, really fortunate life, and I've been to about 10 million concerts in my life. And the fact that I went to the concerts is like that, that is provable. But 
past that, it gets a little bit of murky and not, not because of drugs. It gets murky because what is music? Like, why is this, the sounds these people are making on this stage, why is this music and not noise? That's just a matter of opinion, man. Um, one man's noise is another man's music. And I've been blessed to see the same artists play many times in why did they impact me more on one day and not on another? Um, was that because the band was really good one day and they really sucked the other day? Or is it because I was just in a different headspace? I think that one of the things that comes through in your question, which again is excellent, is I think there's a sense of pressure maybe that you're putting on yourself of like, I've got to get this sorted out. I've got to get this figured out. And I think to kind of continue with the music analogy, but to link back to what Matt was talking about a minute ago of, man, just go to the concert, go to where the music is played, go to where other people are listening to the music and, and, and trying to tune into the music. And I bet that, you know, if you keep going to the concerts, one of these days, you're going to have a moment where it really connects. You're like, man, this is just the, the coolest thing. It's just, I, it's so beautiful. And it's just like the music, it's in my brain and I get it and it's awesome. And it's, even if we were only talking about music, it's worth going to concerts for those moments. If, if you go to 10 concerts and you have like one really good moment of like, oh my goodness, like I just, I just feel like I'm in outer space because of how good that was. That is worth doing. And again, that's, that's true just of music. Well, it's all the more true about stuff that that's that's spiritual. The the idea of like, I'm going to be all the time in this hyper focused state where I'm just attuned to everything spiritual. You're you're not, and and no one is. And I have issues. You have issues. We're we're not always in a super attentive space. But if you the spiritual equivalent of go to where the music is, and you know as much as you can, you know attend to the moment and try and take it in. I think you'll you'll you're likely to have the kind of moments that you that you're looking for, but the likelihood of having them is going to go up a lot more if you let yourself relax. Like a, a prescription for a bad time at a concert is is to clench your body and brain really hard and say, "Now you will enjoy this music." Like that that will not lead to enjoying the music. The more that you can chill out and cool out and ease up at a concert, the more you're going to enjoy it. And I think the same is true of spiritual stuff. I think that's absolutely true. I think it's a really interesting analogy because I'm wondering, you know, this when the person says, you know, I want my own experience. I don't want it to be other people's experience. I don't want to um, come directly from the Bible. And I really resonate with that, the idea that you want this thing to be yours. But I wonder if part of how you get there is not limiting, but experiencing a bunch of stuff and a broad a range of stuff in the same way if you don't develop a musical taste by saying, well, no, 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 everybody listens to the Beatles. I'm not listening to the Beatles. I'll, I'll become too mainstream, you know, Jet, <laughs> like, you know, Jed and Lee and I are, we grew up in pretty similar areas in a pretty similar time. And there's a lot of overlap in our musical tastes, but it's definitely not the same. Yeah. And we've listened to a lot of the same stuff. Jed and Lee, a lot more musical breadth of experience than I do. But, um, you know, a lot of the same stuff was on the radio and in movies and stuff when we were growing up and even, you know, we trade recommendations and stuff now, but what makes, our experience of those things unique is that they are our experience, you know, yeah. our, our Spotify or Apple music, or whatever is our own because we have experienced a bunch of this stuff and picked like, I like that artist. I'm going to see more of what that's like, or I don't really like too much of that person, but I really like that one song. And I totally understand, especially coming in, like if you grew up in a church culture where everyone has read the same four books and everyone listens to the same worship songs and it can feel so, so samey, but I, I wonder if the antidote to that is less, I need to engage in less stuff in general and more, I need to engage in more stuff, you know, read stuff that other people aren't reading, listen, listen to musical artists, that other people aren't listening to, you know, go places that people aren't going. Now, obviously as we will say a lot on the show, we're not talking about things that are toxic. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to go to a bishop um, retirement fund fraud there's church just to see if it's maybe part of the rich tapestry of your own spiritual experience. We can, you know, things that are, you know, all the way out of bounds, we can, we can kick off, but there's a lot of stuff that's between the lines that you can dabble in, try, you know, read the preview chapter on Kindle or listen to one song or whatever it is. And 
we, you kind of build your own experience that way, as opposed to only doing, you know, a, a one man trudge through, through the world to find truth. That's not really the way any of us get to our own journey. And that's okay. Well, so we're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, I'm not a patient person. I'm working on getting better, but is there a way to be impatient in a healthy way in the meantime? I think this is a really, really cool question. I, I like this kind of particular subgenre of the questions we get. That is, I am not going to do the A plus version. Yeah. Is there a something else? It's kind of, yes, I know that the best thing for me to do would be to eat brown rice and chicken and broccoli three meals a day, but I'm going to Wendy's. <laughs> is there something I can get at Wendy's that will be better than the triple bacon cheeseburger? And the that brown is the kind rice of thinking, baconator. That's right. That's the kind of thinking we can get behind. So, Jed, what is the spicy chicken sandwich of patience? Oh, that's an excellent question. Well, I I think uh, is there a, a healthy way to be impatient? I think there is, but I, I think that it's a pretty simple acknowledgement, which is I don't like this. I'd like it to be fixed, and I'd like it to be fixed soon. I would like it to be fixed sooner than it, than it will be, almost certainly. Now that I have noted that to the cosmos and for the record, I'm going to shift focus to something else. That's, that's probably it. But let's add a couple of provisos because they, they are important. The first is, are you dealing with a, an emergency situation? Are you dealing with something that is jeopardizing your physical safety, your emotional health, or are we dealing with something where actually we need to sound the alert and we need to get this solved right now? Because that's that's a separate case. I I imagine that's not what we're looking at, but it, it is worth noting for the record that if you are um, in, for example, an abusive living situation, um, uh, people should not be counseling you to be patient. Um, you know, if, if you have a, a health crisis that requires emergency medicine, um, we, we need to go ahead and get you to the ER. So that's, that's thing number one. Thing number two is if we're not dealing with an emergency situation, is there a solution that is, that is happening, even if it's slower than you would like? In other words, it's not really being patient to say, this bad thing continues to be bad and has improved in no way, but maybe some way it will improve like that. That's actually not patience has not entered the picture on that. That that's just kind of a weird form of denial. So we, we do need to look at the idea of, is there a solution? Is the solution being implemented? You know, I mean, you're, I don't know. Um, uh, uh, your your apartment really is overdue to be repainted and the landlord is aware of it and it's on the, the work list, but it's going to be a few weeks before they get to it. You know, yeah, that you can be patient about that. And then I think kind of the, the last piece is to ask, are there solutions that are realistically available that would do this any faster, right? Like if you want the landlord to paint, you know, the room and you're like, man, I don't want to wait the, the six weeks. Maybe I'll hire my own painter. And you reach out and no, everybody, it's about six weeks. It's you're going to have to wait that long regardless. Then we really are at that point down to patience. So if we're not in an emergency situation and there is a solution that's being worked and there's not really a particularly faster solution, then, then it does come down to patience. And again, I think the, the healthy version is it's kind of where we started. I don't like this. I wish it was going faster. Um, and that's, you know, that's where I'm at. But then giving yourself permission to, to move on, because I think where we really get into trouble is when we kind of just get in a loop of going over and over and over again, how much I don't like the situation and I wish it was fixed already, um, provided that, that those other uh, kind of boundaries are, are in place. Once we get in that loop, we, it is easy to kind of get ourselves in a place of frustration, getting ourselves in a place of anger, getting ourselves in a place of resentment. And that's a big part of why making sure that, you know, things are moving forward. I have said my piece. But now I've got something else to think about and focus on and do so that I don't wind up with that unhealthier side where we're in a loop and we're just getting madder and madder. Yeah, I think that that's really true. I, I love the idea of the the good version of the bad solution. And it certainly is a way to do that with patience because it just points out everybody's impatient about some stuff. Sometimes there's no such thing as as perfect patience 
in every situation. So we're going to have to find a way to fold impatience into our thinking and our life. And the, the analogy that came to mind to me is when you um, get like poison ivy or some kind of skin irritant. And here's the thing. You're not supposed to scratch it. Yeah. Are you going to scratch it? Yeah. Um, but, you know, you find a way not to, to only do that as much as you have to. And, you know, focus on your calamine lotions or whatnot in the meantime. And you try to do it in a way that's not going to make it insanely worse. You know yep. that if you get the, you know, the metal back scratcher and just tear into your arm, it's just going to make this go on longer and longer. Yes, there's going to come a time where you need that immediate just ah relief of scratching a thing that itches. But we need to, we know that we need to spend the majority of our efforts dealing with some root causes of the itch, you know, dealing with trying to get that healed up best it can. Um, I'm losing control of this analogy, as you can hear as we go, but I, I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah, there's going to be a moment where you just oh my gosh, I'm tired of waiting for whatever it is. And you just, you know, have a, you know, you just yell in your house or, you know, just go bananas on something. That's cool. A lot of the, the wisdom on that is making sure you're not doing the impatient thing in a way that's going to ruin your life. Yeah. Like there's almost always a, I'm just going to get some energy out or I'm just going to be frustrated in a way that isn't, I'm going to go try to solve this problem, even though I know it shouldn't, I shouldn't do it this way and end up with really, really long lasting consequences. Yeah. Um, and that, that's the danger of impatience. I think we can like, when people talk about impatience is bad. Sure. Patience is better than impatience. I'll, I'll grant you that all day long. But when we get to why I think we need to move past just patience is a virtue and impatience is naughty. Why is impatience bad? Why is patience a healthy thing in our life? And the answer is almost always because patience will stop you from doing that thing that you know is a bad idea and will really screw things up. But the only reason that it feels like you should do it is because you are impatient right now. Yeah. What's what's the kind of little burst of impatience letting that out that's going to give you the the 10 minute, half hour, whatever it is, window of clarity to not do the bigger, stupid, impatient thing. There are definitely gradations on that. I think that's a really, really important part of looking at that. So those are we only, only two questions this week as we were without Lee and uh, a little lower on questions. If you have a question for us, that podcast at gmail.com, bridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. Scroll down to your episode descriptions to find those uh, links there. Please do write in. But we also want to close off with, well, fun. Mm, I'm not sure if this is a fun story or not, but it's definitely uh, darkly hilarious. And there's a lot in there. Um, we this is from a Twitter. This is found via Twitter user DL Mayfield, and it is an email that he found or someone sent him or something from our friends at Focus on the Family. Uh huh. And here is a dramatic reading of said email. The uh, subject line is, do you wish this was an email from your adult child? So already to a question that, uh, Jed posed in a previous all emergency episode, how are things going Christians? <laughs> Hello, name of person. They won't return your calls. They ignore your texts and emails. Either you have little to no idea what they're actually doing, or they only, their only communication is to rub in your faith, the sinful lifestyle They've embraced. It wasn't supposed to turn out this way. You poured yourself out to help them grow from an innocent, precious child so full of potential into what you hoped would be a responsible, virtuous, capable adult. You envisioned moving from caretaking parent into trusted friend and confidant. You dreamed of a future where you, beaming with pride, would send your son or daughter out into the world, where there, fortified by a deep personal faith in Christ, they would accomplish amazing things and would reach out, often with all their updates and... And it I, cuts off there, but I assume it just kind of goes on like that. And um, this is the worst fan fiction I've ever read. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, this is, this is hilarious ad. 
Yeah. As we, and I believe it is, I believe it is Jed's line has been mentioned many times in the show. Hello, white suburban Christian in your fifties or sixties. I am also sorry that James Dobson lied to you for a long, long time, but that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a hundred percent true. I like, uh, you envision moving from caretaking parent into trusted friend and confidant. Did you? Yeah, I, I haven't known a lot of people who envisioned that, I gotta be honest. I feel like if you envisioned that, you would not have to um, live in the fantasy world of getting an update email from your adult child. Yeah. Hey, here's, and I don't mean this in an unkind way. I mean it as a, as a for real question. You know, you dream of moving parent to trusted friend. Have you, have you done anything to earn trust? Because that's Man. typically how trust works. So, like... You should, it's worth double checking if you've done anything to earn trust. Yeah. Also, would you say your, per, your parenting was caretaking? <laughs> Cause if you followed focus on the family's parenting advice, that is, um, not a guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. I do I, appreciate, I, I'm curious if this is like an intentional, um, changed word or if it's, if it's really a typo, but the idea of rubbing your faith, the sinful <laughs> lifestyle they've embraced. That's, that's really going for it, man. I like to picture whatever frustrated, uh, copywriter who, you know, through a horrific turn of events has to work for focus on the family and just, they just have to get their creative outlet somewhere. This is their, <laughs> their version of the Billy Elliot. I've just got to dance sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's also worth noting. And look, I don't, I don't know who wrote the email. I don't, I don't know anything about anything, but I, I definitely know the focus on the family vibe. And it's worth asking when you say that, that this fictional child, which is weird, has embraced, as you've put it, a sinful lifestyle. Do you mean that they don't agree with focus on the family point for point on everything? Because I'm pretty sure that to you guys, that's what a sinful lifestyle is. And we may want to be a little more clear with what your definitions are. Yeah. And if you're focused on the family, you didn't help yourself by, uh, by giving anybody a wide swath. Like I'm pretty sure folks on the family decided that women wearing pants was okay. Like seven minutes ago. So yeah, not, not leaving a lot of, uh, a lot of room for a gutter ball there. They won't return your calls. They show up in their pants like they don't even care. <laughs> yeah, I like they ignore your texts and emails. I look, I've I've lived a life at this point. I've known a lot of people who've had a lot of varying levels of a relationship with their their adult parents, and it's you know, uh, it's, there's a lot going on. I anytime emails get involved between an adult child and their adult parent, that's almost always bad. Yeah, that's either it, like the I had to write more than I could write in a text and that's never good. Or it's um like chain email, you know, re, 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 re Michelle Obama is actually a satanic priest or whatever they send you. And like, it's yeah, that's what they did before Facebook young people. Yeah. Yeah. It used to be that if your older relatives wanted to send you insane things on the internet uh, before Mark Zuckerberg made that a seamless process, they had to send you forwarded chain letters. <laughs> And then apparently had to wonder why you stopped replying. It's uh I just love the the acknowledgement of so yeah, we told you a lot of things were gonna happen and they uh they didn't. And this is a so universal experience, we know we can just send this out to our whole email list. Anyway, probably the kid's fault. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that's worth looking at, you know, as a for real thought, to be clear, I don't have kids. I'm, I'm sure I have no idea what it's like, but th this should be said as, as an open, just question to ponder, leave your kids out of it for a second. Do you have friendships with people that you disagree with? Because if you don't, that's really something to work on. If you don't know how to have friendships and like, Social encounters with people that you love but don't agree on everything with, that's a skill you can develop. 
that may not be the only thing that's going on vis-a-vis, in this case, your fictional children. But like, if you have to only spend time with people who agree with you on everything, my friend, that is definitely a you problem. Yeah. And, and I think that you're absolutely right. There's also like levels to that, um, which are, um, if you may be angry that your children went to a secular university or, um, you know, listen to the rock music or whatever. Are they a little uncomfortable with the fact that you think large swaths of the population shouldn't have rights? Yeah. Cause one of those is like pants is a disagreement. Human rights is something else. Yeah. <laughs> and you really can't get away with that. Like, Oh, they're just very so much for the tolerant young people who won't stand for me openly talking about the people I want shunted off to camps. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I just like the unmitigated gall of, well, you bought a lot of my books telling you how to be a perfect parents and ensure that your child would have a very squared away haircut and a 401k. And now your kid hates you. Um, you want more of my advice? <laughs> They're happy to sell it to you. Hey, just sign up for the email list. Also, I can't imagine the nightmare that is being on the focus on the family email list. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. That's not a way to live. So we end on a, a bit of a, a weird uh, tip, but also um, a little bit of a high point because um, there's almost no way not to be happier than the people who are pouring over the focus on the family email list being like, I, you know what? You're right. Person I paid to be on this email list. I did do everything right. Yeah. So on that note, we will close it out for this week. If you have a question for us again, it's that podcast at gmail.com, the bridgechicago.tumblr.com. Tell us song this week. Give you a little, uh, taste of Lee while he is away. Oh, we can pick one that's on topic, a song about a good parent. This is, a lead track called Child of Wandering Will. Great tune. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. You've been gone so long. You're out there on your own. And you've got me all wrong. If you think you can.
Come back 